Welcome to the official podcast for the Society of Urodynamics, Female Pelvic Medicine, and Urogenital Reconstruction. Here you will find podcasts highlighting clinically relevant topics, ongoing SUFU initiatives, SUFU member highlights, and much, much more. So our next speaker is Dr. Chris Twist. Chris uh, trained uh, at UCLA and, and uh, in, under Dr. Raz and had certainly done a lot of flaps back then and uh, has, has continued to do so now in his uh, practice in, at University of Arizona. So we asked him to speak about various aspects of flap usage that we sometimes have to pull tricks out of the hat for uh, in female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery. So thanks, Chris. Thanks for the opportunity to, uh, to present today. Uh, Flaps is a huge topic. You know, we could spend an hour or more talking about flaps. So I, I really decided to limit my talk to the four flaps that I think the FBMS surgeon should know. And I think if you know these four flaps, you can probably handle about 95% of what's coming at you uh, in a busy practice. And I've got 15 minutes to do it, so we're going to keep moving. So when to consider a flap, briefly, you know, typically we're using this for complex fistulas and injuries, um, in particular to separate tissue planes and add an additional later there to the repair to provide a vascular supply and lymphatic drainage and poor tissue quality such as radiation. Also, we're using flaps for cases of loss of the vaginal wall, uh, vaginal wall replacement, even stenosis of the vagina. And finally, there's a way we can use uh, uh, certain flaps for female urethral reconstruction, uh, excluding, uh, by the way, um, urethroplasty, which is a whole nother, you could spend an hour talking about that. So I think the, the flap we're most familiar with and we're using all the time is the simple uh, inverted U-flap. You know, this flap provides, you know, wide exposure for urethral surgery, in particular urethral diverticulectomy and sling removals. And it also provides coverage for our simple fistula repairs, vesicle vaginal, rectal vaginal fistulas, when there's good vascularity and no radiation. But what a lot of folks um, uh, may not know uh, or may not utilize this flap for is in female urethral reconstruction. Um, so... So what do you do when, when they've had a sling disaster and you're staring at the bladder neck and the urethra is just, it's gone, okay? So the tuberized vaginal flap was popularized by our own Jerry Blavis in the early 2000s, specifically for mid to distal urethral loss. And typically this is combined with a Martius flap, which we'll get to, and possibly an autologous sling. But as you can see there, um, you make a very large U-flap, and then at the end of it, you have a little triangular flap. And then what you can do is tuberize that little triangular flap into a tube and then simply rotate your U-flap over on top of that. And typically that's combined, at least the majority of patients, uh, in the original study that was combined with a Marsh's flap and safely combined with a sling as well. Now if that tissue uh, is of poor quality, um, there is an alternative uh, to simply advancing that U-flap over the tubularized uh, uh, graft. What, what you can do is make a very large U-flap all the way from the, your planned area of the erythromiatus all the way back and then as you can see here, simply rotate that flap forward and that becomes the neo-urethra. Uh, and then you can rotate those uh, side flaps over it. And often this can be similarly combined with a, uh, with a, with a Marsh's flap. Utilizing these techniques, uh, there can be a 93% uh, successful repair with a single procedure, usually combined with a Marsh's flap or sling. Uh, and they reported 87% uh, with incontinence cured or improved. And that still remains the largest series I could find uh, in the literature on this type of repair. So moving on, the Marsh's flap, um, you can't really pay homage to flaps without uh, paying homage to the Marsh's flap here. And it's probably the most important flap that we use as pelvic surgeons. It has a rich dual vascular supply and can be used on either the anterior or posterior vaginal wall. The original flap that was described by Marsh's is actually not the flap we actually harvest today. We actually harvest the, the robust fat pad 
on top of the bulbocavernosus muscle uh, these days. The original flap was actually the bulbocavernosus muscle itself. Now, the, it's supplied posteriorly by a branch of the uh, internal pudendal artery, uh, and, uh, and anteriorly it's supplied by the deep external pudendal, uh, which is a branch of the femoral artery. So the flap can be based off of either pedicle, which makes it very robust and very useful for us. And so I typically will utilize the anterior pedicle when I'm applying the flap to the anterior vaginal wall, and I'll uh, utilize the posterior pedicle for posterior vaginal wall uh, repairs. The reason being that I believe that that increases the amount of flap devoted to the target area, gives you a little tiny bit of extra length, and it reduces potential tension on the flap, which can produce a pulling sensation or even pain uh, in the labia where it was harvested from. So on the anterior vagina, that can be used for complex fistulas uh, on the vaginal fissures or urethral-vaginal fistulas. Uh, it can often be used to, to bolster uh, urethral, large urethral diverticular removals and complex urethrolysis. On the posterior vagina, we're usually use, using that for rectovaginal fistula repairs. The only caution is that the Martius flap may have difficulty reaching all the way to the vaginal apex. So above the mid-vagina, you really need to do your, do your measurements. Uh, it may not reach, in which case we need to consider an alternative flap. So I know you're all surgeons, and I know you like to watch. So um, I, I have some video footage. Uh, this one was a 26-year-old female had a recurrent uh, fistula uh, after a traumatic injury uh, to the bladder. And so there we see uh, the fistula, and we've, we've um, put a catheter through it so that we can easily uh, put retraction on it and mobilize it. Uh, and I don't usually trim the fistula tract. It's healthy tissue, so I just uh, circumscribe it. And then we're going to develop both an anterior and a posterior vaginal wall flap to completely mobilize uh, the fistula off of the vaginal wall. So there we've completely mobilized the fistula. And there's our simple U-flap coming forward. Here's footage of us just um, closing the uh, first layer of the repair. Okay, so now we've, we've closed it. Now, we, now, I usually test the first layer with a methylene blue and make sure that's watertight. If it's not watertight, I will add additional sutures. And I typically use an interrupted suture line specifically because if any of those pull through with a running suture line, that puts your whole repair in jeopardy. So there's our first watertight layer. And then if possible, if the, if the tissue's healthy enough, non-radiated, you can usually uh, bury that under a second, uh, a second layer. So there's our second layer is buried. And now for a simple fistula, I'll just rotate that U-flap forward and we're done. This was a recurrent fistula, so I'll typically employ a Martius flap in these cases. So here we are starting our Martius flap and incision right on the labia majora. Here's our flap being mobilized, going all the way down onto the, uh, onto the pubic bone. And then I'll typically try to get around that with a Penrose drain. It really facilitates uh, easy dissection and mobilization of the flap. And here we've ligated the posterior blood supply. Since I'm doing anterior surgery, I'll use the anterior pedicle. And now we're going to rotate that uh, into, uh, into its position uh, over our repair, uh, tunneling it under the labia majora here. And so now it's, it's finally in its, uh, its final position here. And then we're simply going to suture that uh, over our, uh, our two layers of repair, adding a third layer. There it is in final position. And then next, we're going we're gonna to rotate our U-flap uh, over the repair. Typically, at the distal end of the flap, I will do with interrupted two ovicles. And then uh, on the lateral sides, I'll do a running locking a suture line. And there's our repair. 
And then typically the labia, deep layer, I'll close with the running 2.0 and the, and the skin with the 4.0 monocrile. And then I'll cover it with uh, tissue adhesive. And a few months later, it's actually quite cosmetic. You really can't tell the patient had surgery. So as we said, you know, it typically will not reach to the vaginal apex. And a lot of folks in that setting will go right to the abdominal approach, uh, shown on the left side there, and put an elemental flap repair. An alternative, though, is the transvaginal peritoneal flap. The schematic is shown on the right side, where we actually will bring down a portion of the peritoneum to, to be our uh, third layer of the repair. And it's, it's, it's faster and less, potentially less invasive, much less invasive. So here's our, here's our peritoneal flap. Here we see the high fistula. And I'm going to speed through a lot of the fistula repair at this point because we just, we just saw one. So we're developing our you know, anterior, uh, anterior flap here. And then we're going to develop a, a nice wide posterior flap on the opposite side. This is older footage. It's really old footage, so I apologize. It's, but uh, here we're closing our uh, first layer of the repair. And there's our first layer done. And then uh, uh, th I, we did our second layer of the repair here. And so now uh, that we've done that, now we're, there's a nice chunky piece of tissue at the vaginal apex that is the end of the peritoneum. And it's uh, uh, very uh, well vascularized tissue with good lymphatics, and why not cover our repair with it? So there's the, uh, there's the peritoneal flap right there, actually covering the fistula. Okay. So now we're simply going to uh, uh, suture that into, into its final position here. I had music to make it more pleasant, but uh, so I apologize for the quiet. Oh, there it is. Okay, there you go. And you can really enjoy it. Okay, so there is our final flap in position. And uh, in this case, often what I will do is make sure that there's non-opposing suture lines. And I'll trim usually the anterior flap, specifically to make sure that that suture line doesn't kiss the other suture line and put you at risk for recurrent fistula. So that's our, that's our final repair, and the, uh, um, the debakies uh, here are pointing to where the fistula was, so non-opposing suture lines. So that's, that's our peritoneal flap, useful for apical high fistulas transvaginal repair. And so the largest series I could find on this is still the UCLA series. Uh, Dr. Alber was first author on that, and uh, they had a 96% cure rate in 80 patients. And there are three failures. They moved on to the more traditional abdominal uh, approach. So then what do we do for disasters? I had this flap, the pudendal thigh flap is really the one that I save for, for disasters. Uh, it originally was called the Singapore flap from a group in Singapore that were, who were investigating an alternative to gracilis and rectus myocutaneous flaps for a complete vaginal reconstruction. And essentially, this is almost like a megamartius flap, okay? The vascular supply is basically the same. It has a posterior supply coming from the pudendal artery, the posterior labial artery, and the anterior supply, once again, is a deep external pudendal circulation. And uh, interestingly, this flap uh, is also innervated by the posterior labial branch of the perineal nerve, so it's sensate in an area that has urogenital sensation, so it's a nice sensate flap. And the original design was an island design, so the idea was you, you, you cut out these islands and then tunnel them underneath the labia majora. And so the way this flap is harvested is you really want to have the vascular supply sandwiched between the skin 
and the myomecium of the adductor muscles. Uh, so it's kind of like a little sandwich to make sure that the vascular supply is intact. And so this is from the original paper showing that how the island flaps are rotated under the, the labia majora and can actually be used to do a, a complete vaginal reconstruction. And it actually heals quite cosmetic. Um, Woods in 1992 and their group actually introduced an alternative, which was to simply release the labia majora completely instead of doing a tunnel island, and then the labia get rotated laterally and the island uh, gets rotated in. And this is the way I actually prefer uh, to do this flap. So it can be used for neovagina creation, complete uh, vaginal wall replacement, complex vesicle vaginal fistulas, and vaginal stenosis repair. So I have a case here, it was a difficult case. This lady had a double barrel fistula after uh, hysterectomy and radiation, and also had vaginal stenosis and couldn't have intercourse comfortably. So we, we wanted to address both of those uh, in a single setting. So here we see the, the double barrel fistula, and we uh, intubated both of them uh, individually. Uh, but I decided to just call that one giant fistula and repair it as uh, one anatomic unit. So um, it was closed in sort of one long suture line, which is shown here. And that tissue is radiated, hard, white tissue. Very difficult to develop these flaps. And they're just showing the anterior and posterior flap uh, development. And here we're finishing up uh, the closure here. Now, I couldn't, now to get two layers on this, I would have to do essentially the partial copalchiasis. That tissue is just too unhealthy. That would have rendered her with an extremely short vagina. So we did our measurements and decided to harvest a large um, uh, pudendal thigh flap instead. So it's 11 by 4 uh, centimeters. And so the first step there, you have to make a relatively deep posterolateral episiotomy. You really have to cut into levators, if, especially if you're connect, correcting vaginal stenosis and then dissect the vaginal wall away and make a sort of a track to rotate your flap in. So that's what we're doing here. Next, uh, we're simply gonna make our incisions and, and start working on this flap. So next we're going to go all the way down, you can see the surface of the adductor muscles there, and we're pulling up the myomecium of the muscle as part of the flap. And that makes a nice avascular plane, so that's the way I prefer to dissect this flap. So once we've reached all the way down to the base, uh, this just has the schematic of how we're going to, we're going to rotate that flap all the way up uh, to the vault and rotate the labia laterally. So I pre-place bolstering sutures to make sure that flap is definitely applied right onto the fistula. And I pre-place all of my vaginal wall sutures. It greatly facilitates getting this flap into place. And then after, uh, after that, we're going to select our point of fixation for the labia majora, which I do with a, a 2-0 monocrole. And here we see the flap has been rotated in, uh, and I did running suture lines uh, on the side. So use that flap completely covers that fistula. Um, very robust flap. And I'm just demonstrating here that we have maintained excellent, excellent vaginal caliber. It easily admits two surgeons' fingers. And we've maintained her vaginal depth, which is already relatively short at about seven to eight centimeters. And then I just close the deep layer with uh, a two ovicles. I do some two monocrole uh, deep dermals. And then I close the skin with a, a four monocrole subcuticular. And 
actually looks relatively cosmetic. If several months later, it's hard to tell this patient had a major reconstruction. So this flap, the advantage here is it's much more simple and straightforward than a gracilis myocutaneous flap. It's in our operative zone. This is something that we can do as FBMR surgeons. Much shorter operative time. It's robust and reliable. The donor site scars are well hidden. It's sensate, and it potentially has a reduced need for dilators, but I'll start patients on dilations, usually a week after. So the largest series I could find, all 31 of their flaps survived, had sensation, maintained excellent vaginal length, and, and the patients were able to have intercourse successfully. So in summary, if you know these four flaps, I think you can do a lot. The vaginal U-flap, you can do wide exposure, simple fistulas, and salvage uh, damaged urethra. With the Marsh's flap, you have control over mid to distal vaginal defects and complex fistulas in that location. With the peritoneal flap, you have a good, less invasive flap for proximal apical fistulas. And with the benital thigh flap, you can address complex fistulas, vaginal stenosis, large areas of vaginal wall loss, and even create a neovagina. Which, and it's much faster and less invasive than the traditional gracilis myocutaneous flap. I'm sorry if I went quickly, but I think I covered it all in time. One question. Uh, what's your input about using biologic grafts that are available currently? I'm sorry, biologic grafts for? For these reconstructions. I mean, a biologic graft out of a package doesn't have a vascular supply. So I would say anything we're doing with a vascular supply and lymphatic supply is going to be much more robust than a, uh, a biologic flap or graft, I should say. So your video, the single pearl flap, is beautiful. I, I actually have done four or five of them. The first two went beautifully. The last two, they've actually kind of, the whole wound's kind of dehissed, and I had to get like a vac in, and I don't know how my vac nurse actually got it, and we salvaged everything. But do you have people do a lot of bed rest afterwards after something like that, or have you found that just routine... Don't put them on tension and it'll be fine. Yeah, you just need to make sure the flap's not on tension. And if it does start to, to pull apart a little bit, just watch it. Leave it alone. It will heal. It has a fantastic blood supply. That's my experience with that. Thanks for your attention. Thanks for listening to today's episode on the Sufu Podcast. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast streaming app. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter with our handle at SuFuOrg, where we'll provide real-time updates of our next podcast episode launch. And be sure to check us out on our website, www.sufuorg.com.